My favorite movie of the last few months was Eurovision with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. And I think there was like a snow owl character. I think, oh, look at Will right there. He's probably like, oh, you're right again. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. You're on to me. Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, Eurovision, snow owls, amazing. Welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 96 for the week of October 19, 2020. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about the Masked Singer as a Eurovision aftermarket. How's it going, Ben? Uh, it, I'm very excited, Mike. We finally get to talk about the Masked Singer <laughs> on our on our non-Masked Singer podcast. <laughs> Truly, yeah. like the, the the one other thing that we talk about regularly that mm-hmm. is not Eurovision is is the mass singer. Yeah, it, it, I guess it's a secret shame, even though like I don't believe in, in in the concept of guilty pleasures. But yeah, I don't believe in the idea of guilty pleasures. I keep going back and forth with my relationship with it, but it does keep popping up, or at least Eurovision people keep popping up in the world of the mass singer and its current plan towards global domination mm-hmm. yeah it, it's slow and steady but uh yeah it is getting very like there's a lot of overlap in that venn diagram so <laughs> it, yeah. it seems like this is a good time to talk about it uh, but before we get into that uh we should probably dip into some news uh, portugal is a go they are uh, planning their festival de Cansao, uh for next year which means that they're getting a new representative uh for next year's contest uh and they are expanding the festival uh last Last year, in the last few years, it's been 16 participants, and they're bumping that up to 20. So Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, That's it, fun. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's going to be pretty much the same format of two semifinals and then a grand final. Um, but yeah, it'll be nice that there'll be a few more songs in the mix. In terms of countries that aren't coming back, uh, Montenegro is taking another year off. As you may recall, last year, uh, they decided to take a pass on Eurovision so that they could get some new vehicles for their uh, broadcaster's fleet. Uh, that probably was the smart choice in the long run. <laughs> and... it, it, yeah, like they, they made a very wise decision. And now, I mean, in addition to those cars, they probably need to fund other other important programs with mm-hmm. that money. So. Yeah, yeah, especially since uh, budgets are tight everywhere right now. So hopefully we will see them back at the contest soon. Uh, also, not pro- well, probably not coming back. This hasn't been 100% confirmed yet, but uh, Hungary released the information about Adal, uh, which had been their national selection process for the last several years. And uh, much like last year, they uh, have decided that it's not going to be a Eurovision selection format because they're probably not going to be participating, uh, which is unfortunate, but again, not a huge surprise. So. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, especially this year. Not a huge surprise with Hungary. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that uh, brings the total number of countries that have confirmed uh, up to 38. Uh, the ones that we're waiting on are Belarus, Poland, and UK to, like, officially confirm. I think we talked about it last time. Uh, Belarus 
uh, said that they're not sending Val, but they still haven't confirmed one way or the other if they're participating. So, uh, but it, ma- it makes it sound like that they're probably a yes. Yeah, like of of these three, all of these all of these three that we're still waiting on feel like probable yeses to me. Mm-hmm. Of those three, only Belarus feel is just because of the whole situation right now feels the most shaky of the three. But who knows? Poland is also hosting Junior Eurovision, so that may be part of why there's been a delay in them confirming, just because they're kind of busy right now. <laughs> yeah. They are like they are trying to coordinate everybody's Zoom windows. And testing out all the technology. So, yeah, they're busy, though. They will. Uh, Norway has announced their dates for next year's uh, Melody Grand Prix starting January 16th. They're doing six weeks. It should finish on February 20th. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't know. I feel like I have said all that I can really say about Norway's process, which is okay. They're they're. They're trying that again. That's a that's a brave choice. But. Yeah. Italy uh, announced that they are going to be using San Remo as their selection format. Uh, and uh, whoever wins the Campioni category will get the right of first refusal, uh, which is pretty standard. So whoever whoever wins that category, they may choose not to go to Eurovision. And then Italy will figure out who they are going to send. But uh, <laughs> Italy will figure things out. That seems to imply that Diodato's not going to be their representative and there's like, no information on if he gets any sort of fast pass into San Remo or if he's even going to participate. Uh, he, he's a busy guy, so he may be working on other stuff and, and not participating. It's all a big question mark right now. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the news, Mike, I feel so often with Eurovision in the wild, we have to we have to be reactive people. We have to go, why is this here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for once, we get to be proactive about these things. Yay. Yes. Isn't it nice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, the in- I got an email last Thursday uh, that Iceland Airwaves, which we talked about on the show last winter, this year's festival was, I don't think it was really canceled so much as just postponing it to 2021. Like, literally, the lineup is remaining the same. Mm. It's just happening November 2021. Dati Ferrer is part of the lineup for that. And now they just announced as of October 15th that this November on the 13th and 14th, they'll be doing a live stream event called Live from Reykjavik. Oh, awesome. It is a heck of a lineup uh, there. So on November 13th and 14th, uh, the two big names that jumped out to me as a person who hosts uh, a Eurovision podcast are uh, 2020 uh, prospective entrant Dati Frere will be participating as part of Saturday. Nice. And Hattori will also be participating as part of Saturday's Ooh, excellent. program. Yes. Details are available at the Iceland Airwaves site. That's icelandairwaves.is. But the full lineup is, it's a really nice lineup. Like I have like a couple things that I would, that I would, was like crossing my fingers being like, maybe they'll get at a later date, but it seems like it's a pretty solid, it's a pretty fixed lineup at this point. Mm -hmm. Of course you have a couple more, you gigantic music nerd. Um, But like it's it's a really good lineup. They have a couple different packages of ticket things available. Again, it's it's being run through the streaming platform Dice in the U.S. You can either get like the full two day pass for the 13th and 14th. They have single day passes. So if you just want the the Hatari and Dati Frere shows, there's a Saturday pass. If the only thing you care about is Dati Frere, they have it just a ticket for that. Oh wow, oh, that's cool. Yeah. There's also the time zone advantage too. So yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, nice. no, you can. <laughs> You can attend the you can attend the music fest and have it be normal hours Ooh. as as opposed to like standing in a Reykjavik rock club at three in the morning wondering what the heck you were doing you were in a, you were a thirty two year old adult yeah. <laughs> 
you should be in bed right now. Uh, um, oh. But you can watch it from bed. Oh, that's good. Oh, you can watch it so from nice. bed. Yeah. This, is, this is the advantage <laughs> of living in 2020, it turns out. We will have the link to that in the show notes. Uh, since we're on the topic of Iceland, Fire Saga uh, has launched its For Your Consideration campaign, um, which... Again, I'm not entirely sure how the Oscar eligibility is supposed to work because I'm like, I I feel like none of us do this year. And like, honestly, if they wanted to figure something different out this year, they totally still have space to do that. Mm -hmm. So Netflix has a site set up with all of the things they want to have nominated. And judging by this page, it looks like they're submitting five songs for consideration for best songs. So they've got Double Trouble, Yaya Ding Dong, Husevik. Lion of Love and Volcano Man. It would be hilarious if all five ended up being the nominees like, because of the. the... the <laughs> how how do you choose? Yeah, so there's uh, all of those, and then they uh, they have a list of all of the uh, like director, producer, screenplay, uh, starring, and I was going through the list of uh, named actors and actresses that they have, and they included Graham Norton, which I thought was kind of hilarious because he's only in it for. 30 seconds 45 seconds something like okay, so, that. okay so he's going for like the supporting actor roles i guess yeah yeah so i'm kind of rooting for that just because i think that would be hilarious but this year is such a weird year that anything could happen really so anything um, can happen congratulations to graham norton's agent mm-hmm. excellent placement we were talking about this before the show uh in terms of the song category, I'd forgotten that there's like a long list of songs that uh, is kind of like a first round pick. And then they'll have the short. Does it go to short list and then nominees or is the short list the nominee list? I think when I was saying long list, I meant short list. OK, OK. But but yeah, so I, I will not believe that this movie is in with is within striking distance of an Oscar until I see that that short list of songs being considered mm-hmm. and see a selection if not multiple from this film yeah yeah although costume design i i, I costume, see that yeah costume yeah. design production design definitely see, yeah, yeah costume production design i would i would not be angry about because they they did a good job of building that world yeah yeah and i mean with the song ones like i think husevik is a worthy contender um mm-hmm. I do enjoy Lion of Love, but that is just, it's, it's a little too silly. And yeah, I'm, I'm worried that Yaya Ding Dong may split some votes. Yaya Ding Dong! Mike, I was away this weekend. How was Eurovision again? It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it ended up being the 1976 contest. It was a lot of fun. I ended up watching on Sunday night, just sort of by myself. Mm-hmm. Thought about live tweeting, was kind of tired, so I didn't. But no, it was a lot of fun and like, there were a lot of double trouble connections. There mm. were a lot of repeat performers. Oh yeah. This is not everything, but these are the ones that jumped out to me. Uh so host Corey Broken is a former winner who represented the Netherlands three times. Yeah. Uh and then Save Your Kisses for Me, our our eventual winner, beat out Coco in the UK selection. And of course It wouldn't be an off season episode without a connection to Bucks Fizz. So. <laughs> Uh, and then Peter, Sue, and Mark made their second of an eventual four appearances this year mm. with Jumbo Jumbo and that clown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the clown got a lot of play on Twitter on Saturday. Uh. We, yeah. <laughs> These are the things that we have in 2020. This is all that we're clinging to. Oh, um, and then one thing that I 
am kind of mad that I did not catch in my research, but I will just save for later because I also just kind of want to dig into all of the times we've had a last place, is that Anne-Karin Anne Strom placed last with Matahari. I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. That, like that was that was a very fun performance. Also, there were moments in this Eurovision again that felt very 1976. It just felt like the exact, just like what you think of in your brain when you think of like the 70s and specifically mm-hmm. disco. And it was great. Yeah, yeah. Like, it felt like it was the most, con- one of the more contemporary Eurovisions for its time. Like, it, like I think of, like, the 2013 contest where it's like, it's all dubstep. And it's like, yeah, I guess that was a thing that was happening in 2013. But it's just like, it just felt of that moment. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, that's not necessarily age well. Whereas, like, this, I felt, was a very solid time capsule of where music was in 1976. In that particular spot of the 70s, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the the clothes, oh, the the fashion at this contest was The fashion was great. The fashion was great. And it's it's always fun to go back to the like the really old mm-hmm. contests and just seeing like how the format is different. And they're also much shorter. Uh, like I was a little thrown on on Saturday, which like, oh, this is only two hours instead of four it's hours. Only two hours like, long. Yes. <laughs> what am I going to do with the rest of the afternoon? But um, yeah, it was also interesting because uh, Save Your Kisses for Me, uh, Brotherhood of Man, uh, won performed. won the contest, and they performed first. first. Yeah, <laughs> that was a little bit unusual, but also kind of unusual. That song did a little bit of business in the U.S. Uh, in, in terms of the U.S. charts. Uh, it peaked at uh, at 27 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it hit number one on the Adult Contemporary Easy Listening chart. Uh, so. I was looking through the, the cover versions, and mm-hmm. I was not surprised that a country artist picked this one up and ran with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But the one, one area that I was shocked did not have a cover, or at least did not have a recorded cover anywhere, that I would have sworn would have had something like that. Like, this felt like prime Tony Orlando and Dawn material. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, and I think if you had asked me, like, because uh, I'm pretty sure I've encountered this song outside of a Eurovision context. If you'd asked me who who did that song, my first guess probably would have been to- Tony Orlando or somebody in that realm. Uh, mm-hmm. Before knowing that, it's like, oh no, it's a it's a British hit. So, <laughs> but, you know, like it does not surprise me that this was an adult contemporary hit in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the interstitials on this one? Because I had I had two specific thoughts. One of them, I've been watching old episodes of Monty Python, so every time I saw like the animated flags thing, I expected things to go into like a weird Terry Gilliam esque mm-hmm. interstitial that did not happen, which is probably for the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, I just liked the the Mister Rogers esque music that that would play as we saw the artists in their in their nation yeah i'm like i thought the music was fine i thought it was weird that um and and this also happened in the green room too where there was just a lot of them talking but their audio was not being recorded or broadcast at all so it's just like you're just seeing people talking in like to the camera and it's like we have no Mm -hmm. idea what you're saying (laughs) we have we have no idea what's going on here but no it was great that like we would just see them see the artists as as like just the music that would play when mr rogers visited the crayon factory played Mm. i thought it was a really delightful show and Mm -hmm. yeah it's still up on youtube it's probably gonna be one of the ones that's only up temporarily because this was uh hosted by the dutch broadcaster so yeah if you haven't had a chance uh to watch it uh give it a go now before uh the end of this week you are already running out of time go Mm -hmm. go go yes (laughs) 
my my train of thought sort of got distracted on Norway. I was very happy to see that even though they placed last in 1976, they placed fifth in 2020. Yeah, there was huge justice there because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just the glasses. And, we love yeah. to see it. Yes. Oh, goodness. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> On to the main topic of Masked Singer. So we've talked on the show before about aftermarkets and how Eurovision can be an aftermarket for shows like The X Factor and uh, Country's Got Talent and um, The Voice and just various singing competitions. And the winner of that goes on to represent their country at Eurovision, either as part of the prize or eventually. Those shows can also be an aftermarket venue for Eurovision contestants? like um, Yeah, in- increasingly, yes. Yeah, I mean, like, a handful of people have been on America's Got Talent. Uh, a lot of them go on to... Which is why we still need to have a Google alert for America's Got Talent. Oh, that's a smarter program. way of going about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of we, keep, to... we keep getting surprised. We think, well, we're finally done with this program, and we are never done. Or they'll go on to, uh, like, since their profile's a little bit higher now, they are now star enough to be on Dancing with the Stars or Strictly Come Dancing, whatever it is called in uh, your your local market. Uh, Or they'll be part of the faculty on The Voice or do various hosting gigs for their national selections, uh, national award shows, that sort of thing. So they they have opportunities as a Mm -hmm. result of Eurovision. At some point, I need to figure out more coherent thoughts on it, but there's like one specific regional market and it, it's it appears to only be norway maybe mm-hmm. of what is essentially called star wars where i'm fascinated by it but anyways yeah we we, we will we will have to dig into that uh, a little more deeply because um yeah there's a lot going on there one of the more recent emerging aftermarkets has been the masked singer if you're not familiar with the show because it's still kind of slowly expanding across the world uh, it's a singing competition competition in big air quotes uh that started in south korea as king of mask singer uh it's a show that started in 2015 my understanding just from the few youtube clips that i've watched is it's more of a head-to-head audience vote thing and whoever wins each individual battle is the the winner for that show like it's not it's not necessarily a season-long competition uh there's it's just one-on-one singing battles and it's yeah yeah because i remember like the first clip of it that popped up was when ryan reynolds was on it oh years ago singing tomorrow oh i had forgotten about that oh yes so (laughs) like that is that is the first place that i had come into contact with the mass singer okay yeah Uh Oh, yeah, I was not expecting that. But I- and, and like I watched that clip and was like, okay, but I don't get it and I did not understand like how it wor- how it would work here when the eventual American adaptation mm-hmm. got announced. Yes. And like with with the Korean version of the show, it was a little bit more simple like in terms of the masks. Like they're they're very elaborate masks. But it's just a mask. It's not a full body costume. Uh, Dami Eam uh, was on the first season of the show uh, back in 2015. So I guess it's not technically a Eurovision aftermarket for her because that was before she represented Australia. But uh, she was the Statue of Liberty and like she was wearing the Statue of Liberty head. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
like she was just wearing a dress uh, like for the rest of, of her costume. outfit. Yes, exactly. Uh, whereas now it is a full body costume. The, the show's expanded to about 40 countries and it's and the list is still growing. Like Sweden, Norway uh, just recently announced that they're going to be doing versions of this show. The format is pretty much the same in these international versions where it's about a dozen or so celebrities are... Uh, in these full body costumes and half the field will sing one week the other half will sing another week uh, at the end of the show one of them will be unmasked determined by some form of vote vote maybe in air quotes as well <laughs> and uh yeah there'll they'll be these clue packages to uh kind of give you hints as to the identity of the person singing they'll sing their song it, it's just it's costume karaoke uh mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is about it that is just so. Yeah, like I did, like because like when you describe it that way, I'm like, okay, but like, why did I get obsessed with this program? Mm-hmm. It's not for the judging, because no. I could honestly take or leave the judging, particularly in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's a panel of three or four judges uh, who will try to make guesses based on whatever information they have. And I remember reading one article where they're just like, oh, yeah, we can't actually hear any of the performances. <laughs> so we're really like guessing like completely just in the dark. Really blindly, so, yeah. Yeah, somebody will be eliminated and uh, be unmasked and then everybody will like lose their mind, be like, oh this person or in some cases be like i have no idea who this person is but good job on your song those, those have been my favorite moments <laughs> yeah. been the ones where just like everybody in the audience is just collectively going wait who yeah like yeah they're a lovely I, singer i'm glad they've gotten to like fourth place but also who yeah yeah uh i i loved it on the very first episode of the american version where it was just it was some football guy and like one of the judges said oh never would have guessed it was you it's like exactly i never would have guessed it was you because i have no idea who you are <laughs> it, yeah, because i have no idea who you are and also this is the first season of this program in the european versions like there's just been a lot of eurovision alumni that have been popping up uh in some capacity on the show uh austria they just finished their uh first season and that's had a heavy eurovision uh, presence uh, on the show. Uh, Nathan Trent, uh, who was their representative in 2017, uh, he was on the judging panel. Cesar Sampson was a guest judge. Uh, and two of the contestants, and I think they only had, like, it was either eight or ten contestants, uh, were Eurovision alumni. Uh, Lucas Plochel, uh, who was part of the group Traxidas, uh from 2012. He was the climate warrior. I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind like, of... oh no, we're starting to hit. We're kind of we're starting to hit like scrape the bottom of the barrel for costumes in America, mm-hmm. and now and now it's just starting to go global because like we have had at this point like three or four different variations of what you call it. Yes, yeah. Uh, two versions of what was it? The monster or two versions of monster? Yeah, yeah. Um... What you call it? Something uh, and then, like, this season, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mike. I'm getting things mixed up. Thing with Jig was in a previous season. We're getting whatchamacallit this season. The winner of the season was uh, Nadine Byler, who represented Austria in 2011. She was the Yeti, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, Bulgaria, France, Germany, they've all had Eurovision alumni. Uh, Russia's format's a little bit different uh there was a clip that was floating around uh last year mostly from me of sergey lazarev in this uh t-rex costume that was kind of a um 
T-Rex in the style of Barney the dinosaur. <laughs> so yes, uh, yes, he sent me the clip. Yes, and um, yeah, he was singing a Philip Kirkorov song uh, to Philip Kirkorov, and uh, yeah, uh, managed to completely fool the panel. It was really an adorable clip, but <laughs> it was also just a very crazy costume. It's like I have no idea what's going on. And like people recognize that you might recognize from national finals are also popping up. Uh, uh, Tim from the Netherlands uh, 2012 national selection, which is the last time the Netherlands did national selection. The only reason I remember him was uh, because I remember there was like the hashtag poor Tim that almost started trending because there was just some sort of disaster in his performance or it was either a disaster in his performance or like the performances were just so lopsided that it was just like, Oh, poor Tim. Um, but I'm glad that he managed to, uh, stick with music and find himself on the mask singer. Uh, Erica Vickman from this year's, uh, Finnish selection, uh, was, uh, on the Finnish version of the show. And, uh, another contestant on the Finnish version, uh, was singer Pandora, who doesn't have a direct Eurovision connection, but this is the second time that she has come up on the show because she sued Scooch for plagiarism because of flying the flag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so just like we, we've hit like the two obligatory things that we have to mention on the show now, which is, Mm -hmm. which is Bucks Fizz and Scooch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, your vision is flat circle. So yeah. (laughs) But please, yeah. please mark that off on your bingo cards, everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and then like there are upcoming versions that are going to feature Eurovision alumni. Samantha Tina is going to be on the uh, on the judging panel in Latvia. Uh, the lead singer of from course the... she is. Of course. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, which I Where... cannot <laughs> I, I, wait I, I, for that. I, say, <laughs> I need to figure out how to incorporate <laughs> that into my life. Yeah. Um, the lead singer from the group is going to be on the Lithuanian panel. Uh, Sweden, their version, uh, Mans and uh, Pernilla are go- both going to be on the judging panel. And really, the Swedish one, that one might be worth trying to track down because it's like, oh, I might actually have a shot at trying to guess some of the, that at one, least some that of the singers. Be so many Melfest people, I am ready to go. Yes, yes. So uh, that, that'll that be a lot of fun. Um, and Australia also recently uh, finished their uh, second season. And they had two Eurovision alumni in their cast. Uh, Isaiah Firebrace was the wizard and uh, Kate Miller Heidke was the runner up uh, as the queen. And uh, we thought it might be fun to kind of get a little bit more perspective on the Australian version. With the global domination of this program, I wanted to just see how, how are other countries receiving this program mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also just like what sort of regional differences there are because like i know that with the austrian the austrian not australian the austrian version um like that one is actually like done by audience vote and it's a live or live ish show uh whereas mm-hmm. like the u.s version is taped in the u.s well version in tape it in one week in august and yeah the vo- and voting happens but yeah does it yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we want we wanted to get a little bit more perspective. So uh, we reached out to our friends over at the Aussie Vision podcast and chatted with Mike about how the Australian version works. Hey, Mike. Hey, g'day, guys. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good. good. Thank you for joining us on uh, this uh, very very silly discussion. <laughs> 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 are you an avid fan uh, of the Australian version? Yeah. Well, I've certainly been a consistent watcher. I don't know about avid fan, but it is. Okay. Uh, it's certainly something. I think that that is a much better description. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
but it's been it's been very popular, and it's been remarkably popular here in Australia as well. So it just finished its second series, is that right? That's correct. We've had the two uh, seasons so far. Mercifully, we only get one per year, not like the United States. Mm. But um, the second season, they certainly amped it up for the second season here in Australia. That that was one of the things that I actually wanted to kind of understand, because it seems like even though the concept of Masked Singer has been imported to a bunch of different countries, it's sort of implemented differently. Uh, So I was just kind of wondering if we could maybe compare and contrast the the U.S. and Australian version. So how many contestants have have there been uh, in a given season? We've had uh, we had eleven in the first, and we've had twelve in the second season. So okay. kept it fairly small. Let's see. I think the first season was what was it, Ben? Like twelve? Yeah, the first season was twelve, and then the third season, which finished in the spring, was sixteen. Jeez, oh, contestants. Wow. Which yeah, like that's why that one just felt like forever because mm-hmm. it was. And I think even this season we are down to just fifteen. But one of them is the Snow Owls, who are two people. <laughs> that, that, that is the new innovation on our, on our latest season, is that one of the costumes is two people. I mean, this is filmed like, during quarantine, so um, that, that's adding a very unnecessary element, I think. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like with the Australian version, do you have a sense of like how far in advance? Well, is it a live show or is it something that is recorded weeks or months ahead of time uh it's pre-recorded but uh only a, only a few weeks ahead interesting okay yeah is there an audience vote or is it like vote in air quotes <laughs> or like how how, how how does the game work there i guess I, I i presume it's the same of like people the the celebrity goes through the clue package sings their song the judges make absurd guesses and then cut to commercial or yes hit the nail on the head there's a lot of absurd guessing so in the first season they did use a studio audience a live studio audience who uh, along with our judges uh, selected who would be unmasked for the week Uh, for the second season obviously in the quarantine period there was no live audience as such even though we did have one uh, they had a panel of super fans, and I don't know how they got them people, but they, uh, along with the judges, selected who would uh, would be unmasked that week. That sounds almost exactly like what they're doing uh, mm-hmm. here in the States. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did they have a live audience during the second season? Well, the second season was uh, unusual. We did use the production team and crew who got dressed up um, themselves in the audience to give a bit of atmosphere and so on. It did look like a furry convention, really. Um, (laughs) Which which was both entertaining and very, very disturbing for family viewing, I have to say. That is... Very, very creepy. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Mike had sent me a video of the puppet from the Australian season performing Live in La Vida Loca. And, like, I had not, like, that was just nightmare inducing enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somehow they kept voting him in. It's like, no, get that that horrific (laughs) thing off our screens immediately. Oh, good. Yeah. Good gravy. (laughs) Oh, geez. Does the US version air in Australia or uh, is it just the Australian version? Uh, Just the Australian version at this stage. You guys have been spared Ken Jong, and I'm so happy that you have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did get to see a list of your sort of place getters, and you've had people like Gladys Knight and, of course, Bow Wow. 
Um, so I'm mm. sure you've had some interesting, interesting people. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who 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 has been like the most famous and who's been the whoiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the whoiest was Jackie Vancho, who I still don't know who that is, but apparently <laughs> it was someone who was who was on like a America's Got Talent or some sort of thing. Oh, and it's a running joke here is when they take off the mask. Everybody says, who the bloody hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) So when they're using celebrity, I think it's a term used fairly loosely. I remember things like uh, The Mole in the United States when we had that. We had a few normal seasons and they switched over to the celebrity format. And it was by the end of like two or three of those seasons, they were very much scraping the bottom of the barrel of what celebrity was. (laughs) And it was great because it, it was still The Mole. And I love The Mole, but... Yeah, no, it's very similar here. We've had some bizarre sporting personalities. It, the uh, show airs on Network 10 here, which is probably a uh, kind of um, youth kind of channel, more more of the youth demographic. They tend to have a few network stars, and I use that in air quotes, from uh, the 10 network as well. So, um, yeah, there's a few head scratches. That was something that I wanted to ask, where it, it's like what tier of celebrity and and it's interesting because there were two eurovision alumni uh in this past season isaiah firebrace and kate miller heidke and i guess in terms of star power where would they rank in the cast i mean the second season i think we definitely got some more kind of household names type of thing with the okay. two with the two performers being being probably up there and as far as consciousness goes um mm-hmm. It tends to be, I would classify as a lot of sort of B to C list kind of celebrities that are doing it. Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely ramped up for the second season and perhaps entertainers who, I don't want to use the word has been, but um, just perhaps not so in, in the public eye recently. Put it that way. Kind of the uh, dancing with the stars caliber. I, I think that's exactly right. Yes. Good okay. Way. That makes sense to me. I think it's harder to get talent for the first season, but like once it proved to be a hit, you got bigger names for the second season. For the third season and the current season, I think there have been a few ones where they've been stunt cast to be the immediate out. Right at the start of the third season, that was premiering right after the Super Bowl. It's like the prime time for for getting eyes on a thing. They had, I'm now blanking on who. Lil Wayne. (laughs) They They had Lil Wayne as like, (laughs) and like he was the first person to get knocked out. Uh, and then in the most recent season, in one of the intro rounds for one of the contestant groups, the big shocking reveal and like Mickey Rourke just like after performing and doing the whole judges thing, just decided he was done and was hot. So he took off the he took off his <laughs> costume head and they scheduled like a commercial break around it. So it was like a big suspenseful thing. But yeah, the, the season one here was was very, very popular. And I think a lot of the uh, people that came on, particularly people like Isaiah and Kate, were very much like, oh, well, this is a bit of fun. It's getting mm-hmm. good ratings. Also, once you're on it, you also feature the next day on a couple of other shows, so it's good for exposure. Mm. Ultimately, we're in a, a place of quarantine and lockdown here in Australia. There is virtually no gigs going on, no live music, anything like that. So it's a gig. It's money. So I think a right. lot of a lot of the, the um, participants and contestants decided it, it's fun. I get my mug on TV, so let's do it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So in the first season, uh, Lindsay Lohan oh. was one of the judges, and I'm extremely curious how that how that worked. Like, I, I <laughs> well, no, well, just because yeah. I mean, like, she's not Australian, yes. uh, so like, just did she have any? good guesses or reasonable guesses or was it was it just a lot of i don't know like it, <laughs> it, it was an interesting choice it was like yes when she was announced everyone said but why 
Um, and then, <laughs> and then when she was on the show, we, we still kept saying, "But why?" Um, to her credit, she remained upright and fairly lucid throughout the entire thing. Oh. But she, she, I think she came armed with about the names of about eight Australians. So if it was a male person singing, it was always Hugh Jackman or Chris Hemsworth. If it was a <laughs> if it was a female singing, it was Kylie Minogue or um, you know Margot Robbie. Uh, so there was <laughs> we were kept saying, but we could only afford you, Lindsay. We're not getting Margot Robbie on the show. Yeah, it was a very interesting choice. Unfortunately, or fortunately, due to travel restrictions, she wasn't allowed back in the country uh, for mm. season two. I'm sure it had nothing to do with her season one performance. But so, unfortunately, we didn't. Uh, were treated with her uh, extensive knowledge of Australian celebrity for season two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel like that is just like sort of the out there or we don't have the like the, this person does not need this guesses yes like because Ken Jong is clearly the wild card on our side of things and the one that he constantly goes back to that every time I just yell at my TV is just Tina Turner because <laughs> Tina Turner has lived a full life yeah. and is minding her own business in her castle in Switzerland leave her alone she it. does not need this yeah and I don't know about your costumes but I doubt you know, for us, I doubt Tina Turner's going to dress as a giant prawn or a, <laughs> uh, or a, or a cactus with unusual breasts. It, it, yes. I was intrigued by the costumes that I saw uh, on, on the Aussie version. Yeah, because it's uh, one of the costume designers from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, who's like in charge of the costume department. It's nothing like the giant flowing gown from like the back of the bus in that one <laughs> shot of the movie. But no. yeah, it, they've definitely Tim Chappell, who did uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, very he's award winning. And if there's one thing here in Australia, they really have gone all out with the costumes. A little bit bizarre for the concept sometimes, as I say, sort mm-hmm. of giant prawn with a pack on its eye we've had uh, rhinoceroses dragonflies sloths um but they're really quite huh. a al- really quite elaborate costumes and how anyone could sing in one of those things is beyond me but um they're good to watch on tv it just looks so heavy yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. so is there anybody who has been on the show that we should maybe keep an eye on for possibly being in australia decides or somehow involved in eurovision that wasn't already involved in eurovision i think the only one we could probably think of was bonnie anderson who actually won the second season here um, mm. She's quite a talented singer. She's currently on, I'm not sure if you're aware of the, the long-running soap opera here, Neighbours, which launched... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's I, I, am, I am aware of, of it as a long-running soap. Yeah, and, and launched the careers of Kylie Minogue and a few other singers like Natalie Umbrolia, etc. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if anything, we could possibly... And she's got a very sort of Jessica Malboy-esque kind of voice. Um, so I could imagine her possibly throwing a hat in a ring for an Australia Decides in future or so, but... Uh, some of the others, some are from the theatre world, perhaps, but uh, yeah, probably none that jump out as like, oh, this person needs to give Eurovision a crack. I have joked that if America is allowed into Eurovision, that we should send the winner of the Mass Singer, but they are not allowed to unmask until after Eurovision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be the astronaut all over again yeah, from Germany. We, we, have, oh. we have sent the peacock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Euro- Eurovision is already weird it. enough, guys. It's already weird. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah a former coworker of mine uh, tweeted the other day, uh, how come nobody told me that the Masked Singer was a Eurovision fever dream? <laughs> so- <laughs> Very true. Uh, but but yes, uh, speaking of Jessica Malboy, do you think that she or Guy Sebastian or Montaigne will be uh, on the Masked Singer anytime soon? Of those three, I think Montaigne would probably be the most likely candidate. She's a bit quirky mm-hmm. herself, and she likes to do things that are a little bit out there. 
Uh, Guy Sebastian's currently one of the judges on The Voice here, which is the biggest show when it comes to those okay. types of reality shows. So I think he's pretty good. And Jessica, I think she might be just a little rung above doing maybe The Masked Singer at this point. But hey, give it a few more years and who knows. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so would you say it's a, a step up, a step down, or a step sideways from doing Eurovision? Oh, I, I still think being selected as the Eurovision contestant here in Australia is still somewhat prestigious. So this is probably okay. a little step down, but um, it's not a massive step. It's only a little, little step, not a massive one. Oftentimes, especially whenever there's a really stupid guess uh, that, <laughs> that the panel gives, we'll just be like, would this person actually do the show? I think this past week it was like, would Stevie Nicks do this show? Oh, wow. uh, would Nicole Kidman do this show? Um, <laughs> yeah, there was like a whole side conversation of like, okay, so does Ava Max know who Bjork is? Does Bjork know who Ava Max is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of the show's appeal is that sort of guessing and, and the interaction we find on Twitter here in Australia seems to be huge because obviously they give the clues and people are taking wild stabs in the dark. But you're right, mm. you know, some of the guesses and you think that person surely wouldn't do it. But uh, yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah, but you could be surprised. But, yes, exactly. Um, I came up with a little bit of a game. I'm going to name someone, uh, a, a Eurovision alum. And I'd like to know if you think if they would do the Masked Singer and if they did the Masked Singer, what their costume would be. <laughs> First one on my list, uh, Celine Dion. Oh, gosh. I, I would have to say, I don't know if Celine would do the Masked Singer. I'm not sure she would. Ben? I'm going to take the opposite side. I think she's in, she's in a period where she's just kind of living her best life and I feel like she would do it. Ooh. Like she would do it for one episode and she would be like the big reveal at the start of the season. Oh, See, I think she would do it uh, just because she is a huge fan of Deal or No Deal. Like, she was on the NBC version a couple of times. I think she hosted the French-Canadian version or it was like a guest host uh, for a couple of episodes. Like, oh, yeah, wow. I, I, yeah, it's I, I, I think she just has this kind of fun streak in her where like mm -hmm. she would just embrace the goofiness of it. <laughs> I think it might be more like her schedule wouldn't allow for it. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. But now if she were to do the, the show, what would her costume be? Oh, I'd like to think of something uniquely Canadian, you know, sort of the caribou or she would be an, an mm. otter or something. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of specifically Quebecois things because she is French Canadian and they are very proud of their French Canadian heritage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the one thing that jumps to mind is maybe poutine. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm like, how do you make how do you make, how a do you make that a costume? costume? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next one that I have on my list, Salvador Sobral. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he did feature in a, a Netflix movie, which I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, I'd say a yes. Oh, interesting, Ben. I'm saying a hard no. Portugal does have a version of the show, but uh, he has not appeared on it yet. Uh, they've done two seasons so far, but I just feel like that goes into his whole plastic music thing, where like he would just point to that directly and never do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's like really into costumes. I, yeah, like I, I cannot think of what his costume would be though. I would be no. something deadly serious with a scowl on its face. No. <laughs> <laughs> Skeleton, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Ben, any guesses? Or I, I do not have any guesses. Like, I, I cannot. My, my brain cannot even fathom the the concept. Yeah. We're all saying yes. <laughs> Sweden just announced that they're going to be doing uh, their version of Mass Singer. Would Anna Bergendahl do the show? I would say yes. 
I would say yes. Well, she's not coming back to uh, Melody Festival, and apparently, so uh, you know, she's getting a bit of exposure. Mm. So why not? I think Anna Bergendahl would do it. She seems to have a mm. quite little uh, good sense of humor streak as, into her as well. So yeah, I'd say yes mm-hmm. for that one. Yeah, well, see, I can see her doing it. The other one, and I know this is not the question, Mike, but I can totally see Nana Gronval. <laughs> oh yeah, no, well, like she she has already signed up. <laughs> she's done carpool karaoke. She'll do. <laughs> she, she 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 probably did not get her trip to go sit in the car with James Corden. So mm-hmm. she's probably already um, organized her own mask at this stage. Uh, but but no, but no, Anna Bergendahl would would totally do it. And what would her costume be? Oh yeah, I'm thinking something snow leopardy. You know, you can see her prowling. Oh, I can see that working. Prowling yeah. around the stage, I could see. Just like a snow leopard, but wearing one of those fringy country jackets. <laughs> That's it. I like. I like. Or, that no, idea. or not, if she yeah. wants to showcase her non-country singing abilities. Yeah, and then the last one on my list, uh, Alexander Reebok. Oh yes, <laughs> Alexander would go to the opening of an envelope, let alone uh, get on the, <laughs> I the mean, singer. He's going to need to. Yeah, he's going to need to need to be on break from grad school in <laughs> Chicago, Mike. I guess, yeah. So would he be on the U.S. version? <laughs> now that would be <laughs> the guesses from that panel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who's that? Indeed. Ken Jong just saying, hello, Bjork. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I think those are all the questions I had. Uh, when can we uh, expect to hear from Aussie Vision again? I know you guys have been taking a break uh, during this off season. Yeah, so we've enjoyed the little off season break, although uh, we're still pumping out the articles, etc. The team is doing a great job there. As far as audio goes, I think we'll do a bit of a preview or a review of the Junior Eurovision Song Contest, which is coming up. Uh, which should be interesting, particularly with the uh, change in format, etc., that uh, we may see uh, some of it appear in uh, the next contest. So I think it'll be a, a good examination of where the contest is heading. Excellent. And uh, where can folks find you online? We're at AussieVisionNet. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can, we're also on Facebook. And then also uh, our Aussie Vision podcast through any of your podcast providers. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. It's been a pleasure, guys. And keep up the great work. We love hearing it. Ah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thank you for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb. That's me and Ben Smith. That's me. You can subscribe to the Euro What on the podcast app of your choice. When you subscribe, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing and help other Eurovision fans find us. You can contact us on social media at EuroWhat or through our website at EuroWhat.com, where you can find out how you can sound off and submit audio to the show. We're doing an Ask Me Anything for episode 100, and we'd love to include your questions, so please send those in. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks to try to make sense of what's new in Eurovision. Will Ferrell is not one of the snow owls, Ken. Is not his tone. Agree to disagree.